0: Essential, and we're in week three. Week three are ready. We've covered community is essential and private worship is essential. And today we're going to deal with this topic. Church is essential. Uh, by the way, thanks for praying for the ladies who went up to the ladies retreat these last few days. And we're glad to have them all back safely and rejoicing in the time they had there. I heard it was great and they just had a phenomenal Uh, fellowship together. Uh, Guys, don't forget, the Wild Game Feed is this Saturday at 5, and I hope you'll be there. Uh, Bring a friend with you, some meat, a side, or a dessert to share with everybody else. Uh, We do have a couple grills available, and if you would like to man the grill, uh, or if we just leave it for whoever needs it, uh, if you have any questions about the Wild Game Feed, you can see me Or Mr. Tyler Smith, right down here. He's kind of heading things up on the spiritual side. I'm heading things up on the let's eat meat side. Okay, so I may not be quite as much the spiritual leader on this one. Uh, Just kind of got distracted by the meat. I don't know what happened. but, But we're looking forward to a great time together at this men's ministry event. And also let me mention for everybody that two weeks from today is our Serve Missions Sunday. And what that means is uh, two weeks from tonight is our Serve Missions Banquet. And this event's normally in November. We've moved it this year to October. And so on the evening of October 11th, uh, we have our international dinner out in the gymnasium at 5.30. And I want you to be thinking about what international dish that you would like to bring this year as we celebrate worldwide missions and yeah, talk about local and uh, local and global projects for the coming missions year. And yeah, we're going to have plenty of room to distance and for everybody to come. And so uh, I hope that you will be there. If you've never been before, this is an extraordinary event. We always enjoy it every year. And yeah, so that's coming up two weeks from today. All right, we're headed to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. And as I said, the topic today is Church is Essential. And this particular topic uh, relates to every year, not just 2020, but I think we've all heard about some things that are and are not essential uh, during these last six months or so. And there are a lot of folks who have realized how essential church is in their lives through this period of time Uh, Some, maybe for the first time ever. and There are also people who have lost their relationship with God's family and replaced it with things that cannot bring similar long-term fulfillment to their lives. In the short term, it may feel like you really don't need church. Uh, But things that are short-term are exactly that, short-term. And in the end, we find that the church founded by Jesus and founded upon Jesus, is God's only vehicle to complete His purposes on earth during the age of grace in which we live. And we all desperately need what the Lord's Church brings to the table, uh, whether that's in fellowship settings like uh, small groups or support groups, or that's in corporate worship uh, together with the family of God. And so let's hear what the Word of God has to say on this topic today, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin there at verse number 11. And He gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplyeth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so this is a beautiful passage that tells us exactly what God wants for His church. And so we're going to break down a, a good portion of the passage today, and then we'll travel to a couple other places in God's Word as well. You know, Jesus talked often, uh, he said, uh, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. You remember this, it, it's just he kept saying it over and over again. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. He that has ears to hear, uh, let him hear. But you know, Jesus eventually led his disciples in uh, on a secret. Uh, that it wasn't enough to hear that you actually had to do. And uh, he said that happy is he that doeth that thing in which he believeth. And, uh, you know, we have to actually do the Word of God. And uh, and these purposes God has given us in this passage uh, are things that, that we know, but a lot of times we lose sight of them and we don't end up following through like we should. And I believe there are things... Uh, within the local church that we have to constantly keep bringing to the forefront, right? Uh, there are constantly things that at your house you have to keep remembering to do because if you don't put it on the calendar and if you don't schedule it, if you don't talk about it, it doesn't get done, right? Uh, when's the last time you were down in your crawl space just for fun, right? Or just checking that thing out or check it out, uh, your for, your furnace filters just because you felt like doing that, you know. Uh, you have to remember to do things and maintain uh, what's going on in the Christian walk and in the church family. And so today we're going to talk about the church being essential because the church is God's vehicle for His purposes in this age. And uh, so we start in your notes by saying this, God's vehicle for the work of ministry, God's vehicle for the work of ministry. And yeah, the notes are in your bulletin, they're also on the version app uh, if you'd like to go there this morning. And I want you to look back to verse number seven. And uh, let's see uh, as the ministry gifts are revealed. Verse seven, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So every believer is given a spiritual gift. Uh, Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus not only secured salvation, he also gave gifts. Now, individual spiritual gifts uh, always edify the body of Christ, but in this passage we see that he also gave gifts to each local church, which we read about in verse number 11. Uh, Some churches were given apostles' Uh, During this age, during the New Testament development, some were given prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Uh, If you would ever like to do a Bible study on spiritual gifts, you should start with two primary passages. Uh, First study Romans 12, and then study 1 Corinthians 12. And you can do a Bible study just on your own on those passages. And here are some of the things you'll discover about the spiritual gifts. And if you've never noted these before, you might want to write them down somewhere. Uh, they are not self-chosen, okay? They're always spirit-chosen. You don't get to say, you know what? I'd really like to have the gift of this, or I'd really like to have that gift. Uh, no, the spirit always chooses the gifts. They're not self-chosen. Now, another thing that you'll find out in those passages is that every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Every believer does, okay? And, and nobody has all the spiritual gifts. And that's why a body of believers is so important. That's why a church is so important because there's nobody within the local church that has all the spiritual gifts. And we need the whole body to be able to support and edify each other and to reach out into our community uh, because we all connect with different parts of the body, and with different gifts uh, within the kingdom of God. And uh, the spiritual gifts are diverse. That's the third thing. They just are across the board diverse. Uh, There are gifts that the Spirit gives that agree with your physical DNA and your spiritual DNA and your experience and everything that God knows is happening in your life at the moment you trust Jesus as your Savior. Uh, The fourth thing you'll note, though, is that the gifts are always used for two things, to reach the world for Christ and to build up the church, okay? They always are used for that. The glory goes to God, okay? The spiritual gifts, uh, they're not given for us to create a name for ourselves and to make money for ourselves. The spiritual gifts are given to edify the church and to reach out into the kingdom of God. And and through these grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ lives out what Jesus started. Uh, Jesus is the one who started the church. And without the church, there is no setting for the spiritual gifts to be used. Okay, think about this. Uh, Without the church, there's no place for the spiritual gifts to be used. There is no pathway to serving God in this age. Now, those are some big statements, Uh, and I want to go back and make sure you caught it, okay? Uh, I'm going to say it again, and uh, let's think about this spiritually and think about it biblically. Without the church, there is no setting on this earth for the spiritual gifts to be used. There's no pathway to serving God in this age, because the work of the ministry happens through the church and only the church, now, this isn't my opinion. Uh, this is New Testament theology. Uh, consider this about the New Testament. Okay? The, the first four books of the New Testament give the history of the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, his founding of the church. Uh, the fifth book of the New Testament is a history uh, of the churches that were founded and expanded after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so that's the book of Acts the next nine books were written to believers who were part of local assemblies or churches across a large region of the known first century world. Uh, After that, you got four books written to pastors, followed by eight books written by pastors. And then you have a finishing book addressing seven churches in Asia. And, And so without the church... There is no need for the New Testament, and there's no such thing as the New Testament because every, every single book in the New Testament is either written through, for, about, or to churches. And that's what the New Testament is. Now, in 2020, the religious landscape has changed very drastically from the first century. Uh, in the New Testament era, it would have been unheard of to proclaim that you were a believer in Jesus, but had no interest in his church. Right? In the first century, is unheard of. And everything that took place was associated with either the founding or the expansion of churches. Uh, I heard somebody reference once uh, the Ethiopian man in Acts 8 as being a believer without a church. But you know, Acts 8 is only the record of his conversion and his baptism uh, by a member of the Jerusalem church. We don't know the rest of his story. Uh, there are some African churches that believe that the Ethiopian eunuch was not only the first African convert to Christianity, but also the first African church planter. And I guess we'll find out the rest of his story in heaven. Uh, but he was not a believer without a body, okay? So, so New Testament ministry... Always flowed through local churches. Now, in modern times, there are all sorts uh, of parachurch groups, nonprofit charities, NGOs, and, and some of them that do amazing things. Certainly, there are some that are, are worthy of our attention, even our investment, and, and some are in, a, in agreement with the church's mandate. There are also, though, many, many thousands of NGOs. Uh, working in places all over the world. I saw an estimate that says there are over 100,000 NGOs or non-government organizations working just in South Africa, just in the country of South Africa, over 100,000 of them. But but listen, God is not looking for nonprofit groups to be the hope in third-world villages, He's looking for the local church to be the focal point in every city and every village on the earth. And he receives glory through the ministry of the church. It's repeated for us again and again. And if churches are healthy and living out God's calling, ministry happens. Resources for ministry are present because God's people are giving and serving. And God has given to each local church leaders to equip people for the work of the ministry. Uh, Look again at verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. Okay, so the work of the ministry is uh, is clearly a part of what God has given to the local church, making it essential. Uh, the church is God's vehicle for ministry. Let's talk about another part of this, though, God's vehicle for Christian growth. Okay, this is the second part, God's vehicle for Christian growth. The local church is not only God's vehicle for ministry, but it also provides the path to discipleship. And uh, look again at verse number 12. We just saw it, but I want you to see it again. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, so God gives leaders to the church to help mature the saints, to equip them for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Now, let's break down some phrases in verses 13, 14, and 15 And if you like to underline in your Bible or highlight in your Bible, there's a lot of underlining and highlighting to do in these verses. Okay, verse 13. Uh, How long are these gifts supposed to be present in the church? Well, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, It's not saying that we're all going to be sinlessly perfect, but it says, you know what? God's given these gifts to the church so that we can keep working at this until we're all mature in the faith, until we all become what Christ has made us to be, and we are complete in Him. Now, verse 14 explains this. I'm not just trying to give you definitions here. I'm going to go off of the definition of verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children. Okay, children are immature. Now, if you uh, ever wonder if children are immature, just tell children that they're immature. And you know what they will respond with? Immaturity, right? People who are immature, when you talk to them about maturity, they will always respond with immaturity. Uh, we have uh, uh, three older kids, and Cody, and he's married to Michaela, and then we got Dawson, who's in the army, we've got uh, Autumn, and Dawson uh, is at Fort Wachuga, and we talk to him a lot, we keep praying for him, he's about to change his duty station to Fort Hood, which is where all those murders have been, and that worries his mother significantly, but uh, Dawson, when he was about 14 or 15, we'd say, now Dawson, that wasn't a very mature decision. And he'd say, well, I'm mature. And we'd say, well, listen, if you're mature, then you wouldn't have made that decision. And it would become this big old deal. And he'd say, well, Cody gets to do this. And like, well, Cody's older than you are, and, and he's shown himself to be mature. Well, he, that all oh, had to take him off something fierce, right? That, that anybody in that house could be called mature beside him, that'd be a big deal to him. And he'd say, well, when I'm 16, this is going to happen. Or when I'm seven, we know something. We don't do it based on age. We do it based on maturity. Because that's a lot of, uh, a lot of parents make this mistake, right? They set this deadline. Okay, when you're 16, you can do this. And when you're 18, you can do this. But we always just told them, when you're mature, you can do this. And, And so then who gets to decide that one? Mom and dad do right? We get to decide where that level is. But, but God has given us this same thing. He said, listen, that we be henceforth no more children. Now, spiritual children, who are they? Well, verse 14 tells us they are tossed to and fro. They're all over the place, right? One day they're this, one day they're this. One day they're passionate for God. One day they've given up on God. Uh, They're on a roller coaster. They're all over the place. They're tossed to and fro. They're carried about with every wind of doctrine. Okay, so every new thing on the scene blows them around by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they, the deceivers, they lie in wait to trick people. And, And so immature believers are in this condition. Now look at verse number 15. I love this. But speaking the truth in love, that's our job, speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. The body of believers that God has given us is always supposed to be growing up toward Jesus. We're supposed to be growing up toward Jesus. It's a high goal. But the church is the body of Christ, and the head of the church is Christ, and he has provided only one institution, one institution, to facilitate the development of believers. And you guessed it, it is the church, okay? The United Way doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Uh, The Peace Corps doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Fox News doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. McDonald's doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Rush Limbaugh doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Google doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Starbucks doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Time Magazine doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. There's no government in the world that leads believers to become like Jesus. Public education doesn't lead believers to become like Jesus. Only the church leads believers to become like Jesus. And discipleship is an essential purpose of an essential church because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if you aren't hearing God's Word on a consistent basis, you are not growing as a believer. That's a biblical fact. Uh, We saw in verse 14 that powerful phrase, that we henceforth be no more children. God wants His people to grow up. He doesn't want us to be easy prey for deceivers. He doesn't want us to place our lives on the foundation of sinking sand. Remember Jesus said, He that hears my words but never does them is like a man who builds his house on the sand. Right. That's where most believers are. They hear the word of God and they hear the word of God, but they never do the word of God. And then they wonder why their house goes splat every time there's a storm. And he doesn't, God doesn't want us to change what we believe based on who we're with and based on the circumstances of life. See, spiritual maturity is essential. I need it. You need it. How does it happen? Through the church. Uh, I talked right before the offering and said, you know, we'd like to meet today with, uh, with uh, singles and people who are married that don't have kids yet and talking about uh, doing this study group together. And, and maybe there's somebody in here who has a heart uh, for people who are single or married with no kids who'd like to be a part of kind of moderating, leading that group. Uh, we we want to meet today right after the service. Well, why do we do groups like this? Well, why is it so important to have this? Uh, because we all are still growing. We're all developing. We've got to be in the Word together. You know, we talked last Sunday uh, about private worship, personal connection with God's Word, with God in prayer. And that is a huge part of maturity, okay? You cannot grow in Christ without private worship, without family worship. Those are essential to your Christian walk. But, but church is just as essential, Uh, When people attempt to grow in Christ, outside of the body of Christ, it doesn't work. It might sound good, but it's hollow. It's a facade. Uh, You'll hear people say, well, we just worship God at home, or we just worship God in nature, or we just study by ourselves. And yet God indicates to us that we will never find ourselves maturing as believers outside of the body of Christ. So you'll pardon me if I'm skeptical of the growing in Christ outside of the body theory. Okay, I'll take God's Word over yours or anyone else's on the topic. And God's Word tells us two important truths. Branches don't grow apart from the vine, and body parts don't grow apart from the body, period. doesn't work that way. Uh, it's morbid to think about it, but uh, If we chop your finger off and leave it over by the window and come and check on it next week, how many think it's going to be doing great? Yeah, I think it's not going to be doing great. Body parts need the body to grow. There's never been a body part that grows without the body. It doesn't happen. And so the church is God's vehicle uh, for Christian growth, for maturity, for discipleship but it's also God's vehicle for a fellowship. I want you to check out verse number 16 because this verse profoundly explains the fellowship of the local church. Look at it says. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. That is a phrase that defines biblical fellowship. Fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplyeth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. Okay, so you see this, these big words, right? Fitly joined together. Uh, Every part, every joint, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is fellowship. And uh, if you look over with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, let's further this discussion a little more uh, from this powerful passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to notice in Hebrews 10, there's a word provoke. Now, when you think of provoke, uh, you're usually thinking about a negative, okay? You're thinking about uh, being tricked into doing something, being pushed into doing something right? Uh, you, you've heard somebody, maybe you've heard an adult say this, well, he made me angry. It's his fault, right? He provoked me. And we, we've always tried to teach our kids, I know you try to teach your kids that you have a choice, right? Even if somebody provokes you, you have a choice what you're going to do. Well, she made me angry. Well, she said this, provoke. It's usually a negative. But in this passage, the only place in the New Testament, provoke is a positive, So, Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Right? Fellowship pushes people around you toward love and good works. Instead of toward anger and uh, all these things that are negative in your life. Now, it puts it all together, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the deal. I need people to encourage me and my Christian walk. And so do you. Uh, I need to know other people and their needs so that I can consider them and provoke them to good works. But I also need other people to know me and consider me and provoke me to good works. And so do you. We all need this. Fellowship is essential. Now, the New Testament word for fellowship uh, is the Greek word koinonia, The partaking of our Christianity with other believers. The communion we share in Christ, okay? Fellowship, so many people think that it's the potluck, you know, on Labor Day, or it's the picnic on July 4th. No, koinonia is the partaking in Christianity together. It's what we share in Christ. It can't be done outside of the church. Koinonia protects us from having an abstract faith that isn't worth living or sharing. Uh, By the way, that's the only kind of faith that the progressive humanistic philosophers will allow us to have, okay? They say, listen, we're okay if you have faith as long as it doesn't become public. We're okay if you have faith as long as it doesn't affect any of your decisions. We're okay if you have faith as long as it doesn't connect with any other person around you. Uh, that's not faith, okay? That's a joke. Uh, if you don't want anybody else to be a part of your faith development, and if you don't want to be joined together with other Christians, if you run away from God's path to accountability, you may not have a living faith. Now, look, I know it's political season, and we've got big national election coming up, and there's all this talk about... Uh, you know, well, this, this particular person who's running, uh, he's Catholic, but he doesn't wear his religion on his sleeve. What that means is he doesn't use any of the belief system that he claims to believe in his life, right? So, so you can be totally pro-abortion all the way up till the point of birth and still be considered religious as long as you don't do anything with your religious beliefs. Yesterday, the president appointed uh, a lady uh, to be considered for the Supreme Court. And uh, her name is uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and and, uh, she uh, is apparently a Catholic and uh, truly believes. And uh, even at her hearing three years ago, one of the senators uh, said to her at her hearing, uh, the dogma lives loudly in you. You know, that's what it's supposed to do. If you actually are a believer in Christianity and Christ, the dogma is supposed to live loudly in you. Because the Bible says in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But if Christ in you is totally meaningless to all the people around you, we would have to doubt whether or not Christ is really in you. Because Christ in you is life changing. Christ in you is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And yet, uh, we hear all the time, well, I don't mind if you're a Christian just as long as nobody else knows about it. Yeah, that kind of defeats the purpose. right? As long as none of your decisions are founded upon this. That would be tragic if, if you based your decisions on this. No, actually, that would be exactly what Jesus intended. He didn't give us this lifestyle of being a believer in Jesus uh, to be a, something that pushes away from our life, it's supposed to be embraced by every segment of our life. And uh, this faith that talks but never walks is a dead faith. There is no substitute for the koinonia experienced in the body of Christ. It is a spiritual connection guided by God that always takes place around His purposes. And at Centennial, we do koinonia on purpose through uh, small groups, support groups, and serve groups. Uh, This afternoon, there's going to be a marriage group that meets. Tonight, there's going to be all sorts of small groups that meet. We have Bible study groups during uh, the services this morning of different ages. Now, this is a time where we sit in circles instead of rows, where we know and are known where we practice our Christianity with others who are going through similar struggles. Uh, you know, listen, there, there's a time and place for us to be preached to from God's Word, but it's not every time we get together, right? Uh, there's got to be a time where we get together as believers and we actually do the Christian life and we understand each other's struggles and we consider one another's needs so that we can provoke one another to good works, I love small group for that very reason because it's a time when souls are opened, when needs are shared, and when we can provoke one another and pray for one another in the faith that Jesus has given us. And the need for fellowship has nothing to do with your personality. Uh, You can be an introvert. Uh, I'm an introvert. I actually am. The only time I'm outgoing is when I'm on stage. Any other time I'm totally an introvert, you could be an extrovert, but you need to be fitly joined together in the body of Christ. In the Jerusalem church, they met both publicly and from house to house on a regular basis. They studied together, broke bread together, prayed together, shared their needs, and had their needs met, worshiped together, spread the gospel together. Koinonia is exactly what God wants us to live out today. Now let's talk about this next one. God's vehicle for spreading the gospel. Okay, the church. God's vehicle for spreading the gospel. God entrusted the most important thing in the history of mankind, the gospel, to the church. Jesus promised that the Spirit would empower believers to go into all the world with the gospel. God committed the record of the gospel, the Holy Scriptures, to the caretaking of the church. And there is absolutely nothing about the spread of the gospel that God designed or expressed outside of the church. In fact, the church is God's only method for reaching the world. His choice, not ours. That's His choice. And and the Great Commission makes the church essential for delivering the gospel to every nation and people. Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Revelation reveals that through the work of the gospel committed to the church, all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues will stand before the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb. Before Jesus left 11 bewildered disciples standing on the Mount of Olives at his ascension, he promised them that they would receive power After that, the Holy Ghost had come upon them, and they would be witnesses unto him, both in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. And and these disciples, the disciples of each generation, are called, trained, and empowered as witnesses for Christ. And where does all this happen? In the church. God's promise that every tribe hears the gospel only happens through the church. Now, here's what's striking about this. We get to be a part. We get to be a part of what God has designed as the only vehicle to share His hope with the world. What an incredible privilege that is. What an awesome responsibility that is. If you want to know why the church is essential, there is no greater proof than this. The local church is the only method for delivering hope to the world the only one. When we see churches being given fines for meeting in places around the country, uh, when we see people this past week arrested in Moscow, Idaho, while singing uh, hymns outdoors in a public square, in a county that's had zero hospitalizations and zero deaths, we are reminded that there is nothing that the enemy would like more than to destroy the church the living body that Jesus left in his place, the breathing organism empowered by the Spirit for attacking the gates of hell. Rest assured, though, no matter what the UN ever does, no matter who's president or who's governor or what happens in this country or any other country, the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. Uh, Every corporation on earth will go out of business before the church ever does. Hollywood will fail before the church ever does. Media will fail before the church does. Sports leagues will fail before the church does. We have been promised by our founder that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his gathering. The head of the church is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God be for us, who can stand against us? Yeah, you read the news every day. Oh, it's negative. Negative, negative, negative. Things are bad, 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 bad. Folks, I read the back of the book. We win. And there's no reason to live a defeated life. There's no reason to back away from speaking the truth in love. There's no reason to abandon our fellowship with this body of believers. There's no reason to lose our focus on eternity because our God is greater than any force, any circumstance, any virus, any enemy. There's none like Him. I want to turn together to Ephesians again, this time to chapter 3, where we'll close out this morning. We read the great passage in Ephesians 4, and leading up to it uh, is the end of chapter 3, and I want to read the last eight verses of this chapter because they remind us of something significant in talking about church being essential. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit, In the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, when it says you're there, it's talking to the church. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. That's the church. What is the breadth and length and depth and height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Here's the faith challenge. The body of Christ is the ultimate vehicle for bringing glory to God. Now, New Testament worship is expressed through the church. Every time New Testament worship is expressed, it is always done through the church. Unto him be glory in the church. If you love Jesus, you love his bride, and his bride is the church. It is the only organism designed by God to administer his purposes in this age. If the world has ever needed Jesus, they need him now. Out of the church, the body of Christ, us. We are the light, we're the salt, we're the ambassadors, we're the hope that is needed in this time. Church is essential because the things that are on hearts in this world today are temporal things. The things which are seen the things which are felt, the things that are worried about, it's all temporal things. You know, the things that are eternal are the things God wants His children to focus on. Right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be living out His purposes. But His purposes only happen in the church. That church isn't a building. It's a body of believers who are gathered together to fulfill the purposes God has given in his kingdom. And so I want to pray with you this morning, and let's ask God to work through his church. Father, we thank you once again today that we could come and be reminded that church is essential not because we say it or because we think it, but because you say it, yeah, because it is the only vehicle to live out the purposes that God has given us in this age. And so I pray that we would live out those purposes indeed, not just hear them, not just know them, not just believe them, but live them this very week. We might be servants of the Most High God in our lives in every way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.